This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, and if you were in Sunday school today, we talked about sharing the gospel with people, and I want to kind of build on that today. We've, we've been in sort of an, a beginning of the year series that we're calling Reset, and this is the last Sunday of Reset, and we've taken three Sundays here in January to focus on things that are sort of basics of the Christian life, but they are also things that we can let slide. And the beginning of the year is a good time to hit the reset button on these things. And so in week one, we talked about cherishing the Lord's Day. We talked about what meeting together for worship weekly does for us and why God says that's so important for us. In week two, um, we talked about stewarding the Lord's resources. And today we're talking about sharing the Lord's gospel. You know, we know as Christians that this is something that God has called us to do, to share the good news of Jesus with other people. But I think we struggle to do it sometimes. In fact, survey after survey of believers in America kind of indicates that that sharing the gospel is something that even though we as Christians know it's important and we know it's commanded, it's something that we're not doing a lot of. And so I think that can change for us in 2017 by God's grace. And so we're going to talk about some ways to, to help that uh, this morning. And to do that, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to look here at verses 19 through 27. This is Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And we're going to get some key things here that's, that are going to help us in sharing our faith with others and, and being the witnesses that God has called us to be. So let's look at it together. First Corinthians 9 and beginning with verse 19, if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So... I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. 
But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your help in sharing the gospel with people. We love you. We, we know that part of loving you is obeying you, and you have commanded us to be witnesses of Christ. You commanded us to share the good news of Jesus with other people. And so we pray that you would help us this year to be more faithful in doing that. Make us faithful witnesses. And if, we, if this has been an area that we've struggled in in the past, and it, and it is for many people, we pray that we would look back on today as really a, a time of beginning to break through and experience change in actively sharing the good news of Jesus. Because we live in a world that is lost and so in need of the Savior. And we don't want to hoard what we have. We want to share the, the riches of the gospel that you have given us. So make us more faithful in doing that. We pray that you'd use these next minutes together as a time to help us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first time I, I visited Israel, I was... I was struck by the diversity of the appearance of the people. I, I did see plenty of people in Israel with uh, a ta- a olive skin and, and, ta- and uh, dark hair, <laughs> which is kind of what I, I expected. But I also saw, saw lots of people in, in Israel, lots of Israelis that were blonde or uh, they had red hair or they, and they were very fair skinned. And I kind of could understand that because I, I knew that a lot of Israelis came from Russia, you know, or other places in Europe um, originally. So I sort of got that. But then I noticed also, as just walking around Israel, I was seeing a lot of black Israelis that were clearly of African origin. And I, I was puzzled by that. And I wondered, you know, what's the, what's the story here? Well, it's an incredible story. <laughs> On May 23rd, 1991, Israel pulled off the greatest rescue operation in modern history. On that day, they flew 14,324 Ethiopian Jews out of Ethiopia to Israel in a single day. It was called Operation Solomon. For centuries, these Ethiopian Jews had lived as sort of a lost tribe of Jews. They, they lived in the very remote part of Ethiopia and in, in mountain villages. Uh, they thought they were like the last Jews on earth. But they prayed to one day see Jerusalem. Well, by 1991, a combination of famine and civil war was threatening the complete elimination of these Jewish people in Ethiopia. 
forces were closing in on them in this, in this civil war, and they were caught in the crosshairs, and they were in danger of being completely eliminated, and the government of Israel made the momentous decision to rescue them, bring them to their country. And so undercover Israeli operatives went to work, and for months they arranged for thousands of these people to be smuggled out of their remote mountain villages to Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, which is also where the airport is, most importantly. And on May 23, 1991, 33 unmarked, Israeli jumbo jets touched down on the runway in Addis Ababa. Some of them were Israeli Air Force jets, big cargo planes. Some of them were Israeli civilian airliners, El Al airliners, the, the, the airline of Israel, and they had had their, stri- their seats stripped out <laughs> so that more people could be crammed in and in an incredible feat of logistics 14,324 people were loaded onto these 33 planes in minutes and flown to Israel (laughs) most of them had never seen an airplane before most of them were children, and during the 1,600-mile flight to Israel, Israeli doctors delivered seven more children on board the planes. One of the passengers looked out as they were flying over the Red Sea. He said, we felt like the children of Israel being delivered from the Egyptians and, and headed towards the Promised Land. And when they touched down in Tel Aviv on Israeli soil, many of these people, they got off the plane and they hurled themselves to the ground and kissed Israeli soil. The people were weeping (laughs) and the Israelis who were welcoming them as citizens to their country were weeping and the Israeli public responded uh, by sending so many clothes and so many cribs and so many toys that officials had to tell them to stop. We can't take it anymore. What a picture of rescue. What a picture of welcome. And what a picture of what we're called to do as the church Because we live in a sea of lost people who need the Savior, and we are called to rescue them and welcome them into the family of God. But we can't do that unless we are His witnesses. Jesus tells us in in Acts chapter 1, And verse 8, after his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus says what to us in Acts 1.8? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What characterizes a faithful witness? We're called to be his witnesses. We, we see that here. But, but what constitutes, what characterizes a faithful witness? First of all, let's see the focused power of a witness. The focused power of a faithful witness. Now, we see in verses 19 through 22 here uh, that Paul was very clear about his focus. I mean, five times in these verses, he says that the focus is what? To win people. Win, 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 win. There's no doubt here about Paul's intention. Uh, And he was willing to go to extraordinary lengths to win people to Christ. And that doesn't mean that he wanted sort of a, a, a notch on his belt. No, it was about love. It was all about love. It was loving people. And that's clear because what he means by winning people, we see in verse 22, is that he wants them to be saved. Right? To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So to win people meant to see people saved. And that word save means rescue. And, 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 and people without Christ need rescue because the Bible says that they're perishing. They're headed to a future of eternal separation from God, as the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16 makes very clear, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. But what is the implication of that? That those who do not believe will perish. Lost people are Perishing. People without Christ are perishing. People that we know, family members, friends, people that we work with, people that we go to school with without the Savior are perishing. And Jesus goes on to say in verses 17 and 18 of John 3, that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But we are in possession of good news. And the good news is that we don't have to be condemned because... God became a human being and went to a cross and there He took condemnation for us. He took the condemnation that we deserved as we just sung. He took the nails in our place. He took that condemnation so that those who turn to Him and trust Him will not experience condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has taken the curse of sin and death by becoming a curse for us. Dying for our sins, taking that curse upon Himself and rising from the dead to conquer sin and death for all who will turn to Him and trust Him. 
But we live in the midst of a sea of people who have, have, have not done that. And we can't make them believe. We, we can't force them to walk through the open door that God has provided for their salvation. But what we must do is point to that open door and tell them about Jesus and make sure that they understand because I'm in conversation with people all the time in our culture who have heard things about Jesus, but they don't really know what a relationship with Jesus means. And when it comes to just the basics of the gospel, they're incredibly fuzzy and confused on that. And we have to point to what Jesus has actually done, what the good news of Jesus actually is, and make it clear. We can't force people to walk through the open door, but we have to point to Jesus, point to that open door. And as we do that, we don't do it in our own strength. That's the encouraging thing. Again, let's look at Acts 1.8. And Jesus says here to us, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You know, I certainly haven't been as faithful as I should have been through the years as a witness. I mean, there are so many times when I've been in conversation with people, and, and I've just, I, I had the opportunity was there, and... I didn't take it. Um, and so, if you've been there, I understand that. I've been there. But I can also say this. And that is that when I am obedient to speak about Jesus, and when I'm obedient to sort of transition those conversations so that it's not just about sports or work or family or whatever... Um, and, and when I just sort of say a silent prayer and, and begin to transition that, take a next step in that conversation and begin talking about spiritual things and talking about Jesus, here's what I found. And this is true time after time after time after time. When I begin to talk about Jesus, it's like a surge of electricity just and I, I lose inhibition about talking about Jesus God gives the words and um, you know and it helps to have you know some uh, to, to work on that and we talked about that you know in Sunday school today and you know kind of just knowing the basics of the gospel so we can share it um, but but look as we begin to just talk about Jesus in conversations we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, just loosening our lips, and it's exhilarating. It's exhilarating um, to, to experience that power, but that's not an experience that we get to have unless, we're, unless we do it. It's the type of thing that you have to do in order to experience. But the more that you open your mouth and just begin talking lovingly to people about Jesus, the work of Christ, and conversations, you'll experience the power of the Holy Spirit just working, flowing, moving. And so there's the focus of a witness, and there's the power. So it's a focused power. Second, 
the servant heart of a faithful witness. Let's look at verse 19. Paul says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now, this is interesting because again and again in his letters, Paul refers to himself as a servant, a doulos of Christ. It's clearly that, but there's also times like here when he says that part of being a doulos, a servant of Christ, part of that is that if we're serving Christ, then we, are, we, we serve, part of serving Christ is serving other people in love. Because that's what Jesus did. Matthew 20 and verse 28. Jesus says this about himself. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The night before Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many on the cross. What did he do? Gather his disciples. He took a towel, basin of water, and he bent down and washed their feet. And then he said to them, I have left you an example that you should do for others as I have done for you. And see, evangelism is messy. <laughs> That's because people are messy. Um, and in, in order to, to be a witness, it means that we've got to take the towel and we've got to get out of the stands where it's nice and clean and where we don't ever get dirty and we've got to get down on the field with people where people are and, and spend time with them and love on them, and care for them, and listen to them, and share with them. But we can't do that sort of in a climate-controlled comfort zone, away from them, keeping our distance from them. Listen, we have a God who didn't keep his distance from us. He came to us. He came to us. That's what the incarnation is about. Christ came to us, and he came to serve us in, 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 in love. Philippians 2 Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior who didn't keep his distance from us, but who came to us in love? He came into our mess. He came into a world that was a mess. He came into our mess to serve and to save. And he calls us to go out and do the same in the lives of others. Third, we see in this text both the flexibility and the inflexibility of a faithful witness. Verses 20 through 22 again. Paul says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. 
To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as uh, one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So, as Paul moved among people in the first century world, he was moving among basically two groups of people. People from a Jewish background, like him, and people from a Gentile background. And what he's saying here is that as he did that, he was incredibly flexible when it came to cultural customs of these two groups. So when he was among Gentiles... Gentile Christians, he did not expect them to, uh, to, uh, to live by you know, kosher dietary laws, uh, didn't expect them to observe special Jewish holidays, uh, didn't expect Gentile uh, men to, uh, to be circumcised, things like that. And so he was incredibly flexible and with, when he was with them. He knew that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's it. And so he knew that these Gentiles didn't need to do any of those Jewish customs in order to be saved, and he did not, you know, he did not insist that they do that. And when he was around them, he was incredibly flexible about you know, what he ate and, and, and things like, like that. He was, he was sensitive to their, to their customs. And when he was around his fellow Jews... He didn't have any problem being kosher, you know, or observing, continuing to observe the Jewish holidays. And he didn't mind if Jewish Christians continued to do that, as long as they didn't think those things were necessary uh, to be saved. And so you see in him just this incredible flexibility when it came to things that, were, that, that did not impact uh, the gospel. But you see when, in him when it comes to the gospel... An incredible inflexibility. When it came to the message of the gospel, Paul was totally inflexible. We see that like in Galatians 1.9. He says there, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There's only one gospel. And it can't change. It can't be modified. So we see this flexibility in him when it comes to sort of uh, cultural customs, things that are not taught, you know, uh, that are necessary for salvation. Uh, But then complete inflexibility when it comes to the gospel itself, okay, which is exactly what we are called to do in our our culture. Um, When it comes to things that are are not – when we're ministering to people – when it comes to issues that are not biblical and that are just cultural, we should be incredibly flexible. I mean, even when we send out short-term mission teams from our church, I mean, one of the main things that we stress when you're on mission is flexibility. So when you're on a mission trip, eat what is served to you. Right? Let's be sensitive to the culture of the people that, we're, that we're, we've gone there to love and you know, let's not, let's not erect 
barriers for them coming to Christ. I mean, we want to be incredibly courteous and, and eat what is served. We don't want to give offense to them by the way that we dress. And so when, when, when I go on mission trips, for instance, to the Middle East, um, then I have to, even if it's 100 degrees over there, I have to leave my cherished short pants in the drawer at home because guys don't wear short pants in those cultures. All right, so we, things like that. We want to be, we don't want to, we don't want to heap non-biblical rules and regulations on uh, people, right? That's, that's not helpful in sharing the gospel. But at the same time, when it comes to that gospel, when it comes to issues of the, that are clearly taught in Scripture, we can't compromise. There can't be any compromise. And we live in a culture that wants us to compromise on that stuff. They want us to compromise on issues that are clearly taught in God's Word, like what God's Word says about sexuality, for instance. Well, we can't compromise on that. Okay, we can't compromise on stuff that's clearly taught in Scripture. We have to be inflexible about that. Um, but we want to, when it comes to issues that are not clearly taught in Scripture, oh, at least we should be incredibly flexible. And, and all of that goes back to both of those things. Both of those things, being flexible about cultural customs and, and being inflexible about the gospel, both of those things flow out of love, which is the next thing, okay? The love, the love of a faithful witness. Verse 20, 23, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings, and so Paul is saying, I have experienced so many riches in the gospel, and I don't want to hoard those riches. I want to share those things. I want people to come and experience what I've experienced in the gospel. In the Old Testament, there's a time when the city of Samaria was under siege by the Arameans, and, and just this horrible situation was developing in the city of Samaria as they were under siege. People were starving. People were resorting to cannibalism. And it was just this, this horrible, desperate situation in the city. And so the Bible tells us about four lepers who said to themselves, we're going to walk out of the city and we're going to surrender to the Arameans. And if they spare us, then we live. And if they kill us, we die. But we're going to die anyway if we stay here. So what do we have to lose? And so these four lepers walk out of the city of Samaria to surrender to the Arameans. And they walk out. And the Arameans are gone. They're vanished. And that's because God had done a miracle. And God had caused the Aramean army to, to hear the sound of thousands of, 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 of horses and chariots. And they believed that they were coming under attack by a mighty army. And they took off. They fled. And they left all of their, all of their treasures, all their food, everything behind. And so the Bible tells us that these four lepers who had been starving, they walk into this empty Aramean camp and all of this treasure, all of this plunder is just right there for the taking. And they were going from tent to tent and just 
gathering you know, all the silver and all the gold that they could in their arms, all the food and clothes they could grab. They're grabbing all this stuff, and, and they would go back and they would hide that much, and then they would go back and they would just grab even more and go back, and they keep doing this, and then suddenly they're convicted and it hits them. What about the people in the city that are suffering, starving? And God brings them to conviction. And we see in 2 Kings 7, 9, that they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. Like, this is, this is incredible good news and we're not sharing it. And the plight of these people down in the city is desperate. And here we are hoarding these riches. It's not a loving thing to hoard riches. When there were people down below them in the city that were that we're starving. And it's not a loving thing for us to hoard the riches of the gospel when there are people all around us who are lost and need to hear it. That's like walking through a field of wounded, dying people and we are in the possession of the only medicine that can bring healing to them and not sharing it with them. It comes down to an issue of love. And the biggest barrier that we face, make no mistake, the biggest barrier that we face in sharing the gospel is lack of love. And that can take several forms. We, we can get so busy with our own concerns and our, our lives just get so wrapped up in ourselves and in our, in our own families that we don't think about the needs of others, let alone take the time to engage with others and open up our hearts and our homes and things to others because it's all about us. And, you know, we've gotten into a kind of a very narcissistic, self-centered rut. Sometimes a lack of love takes the form of of fear, and we might not think that that's a lack of love, but let me explain to you how kind of it is. A lot of times we don't we don't want to talk to Jesus about people to, to uh, about Jesus to people because you know we fear um, we fear uh, rejection, um, we fear that we're going to sort of uh, rock the boat in that relationship, which is usually not the case, by the way. Usually when we share the gospel just lovingly with, with people, most of the time they're grateful that we love them enough to share. But regardless of, of, of that, think about this. Think about not sharing the means of salvation with people because we are afraid to rock the boat or experience any sort of personal rejection. And they're lost. 
and headed to hell. They're without a savior. That's not love. That's not love. Quit fearing people and start loving people. You know, quit craving the reject. The, quit craving the approval of people, which is an, a reason why a lot of times we don't share with them because we want, you know, we're our, our pride and you know we kind of want their approval. We don't know what they'll think of us if we start, start talking to them about Jesus. That's craving their approval, right? Quit craving the approval of people and shift from that and care more about pleasing God. I love that film, Chariots of Fire, when the, the runner, Eric Liddell, Christian runner, he's determined to compete in the Olympics. And he knows God has called him to do that. And his sister doesn't want him to compete because she thinks, uh, you know, all that sports stuff, it's kind of worldly, and you've committed your life to be a missionary in China and so forth, and you just need to get, get on with it and do that. And, and, and Eric says, no, I need to run in the Olympics first. And they, he goes on in this conversation with his sister, and then he says this. He says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel God's pleasure. And something else happens when we're faithful to talk about Jesus to people. You sense the smile of God. You sense the blessing of God, the favor of God upon what you're doing because you know in that moment that, you're, that in, in speaking of Christ that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. And that's a beautiful, intimate closeness with the Lord. And listen, let your witnessing flow out of love. Just let it flow out of love. Just focus on loving people. And when you do that, and you know that their ultimate need is Christ, then speaking about Jesus is sort of a natural overflow of your love for them. Just love people. And let the gospel flow, flow, flow from that. I love what Dr. Steve Gaines says about this. He says, Christian, be an ambassador of kindness. If you will just be nice to people, it will shock you how many people you get to witness to. All right, finally, the reward. The reward of a faithful witness. Verses 24 through 26. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Now the image here obviously comes from sports. It comes from the games. It comes from the Isthmian games, which were very, very similar to the Olympics. And they happened every two years in Paul's world in the first century. The New Testament scholar Gordon Fee, in his great commentary on 1 Corinthians, points out that Paul would have been in Corinth in the spring of A.D. 51 when the games were held there. And so he had observed these games and he knew that the people that were reading this letter, they knew all about these games. And they knew that these athletes trained to win. And when it came down to the time to compete, they competed to win. 
Okay, if they were runners, they ran to win. If they were boxers, they boxed to win. Or whatever sport they were involved in, they competed to win. And when they won in the Isthmian Games, they would receive, unlike today in the Olympics when they receive a medal around the neck, these athletes, the winners would receive um, a laurel wreath on their head, sort of like a crown, except for it was made out of natural stuff. It was made out of pine or sometimes celery. But you know what? This, this wreath that they received on their head, because it was greenery, I mean, it was going to wither and fade. It was going to perish. That's why he calls it a perishable wreath. But he says that if we're faithful to Christ, then one day we're going to receive an imperishable wreath, an imperishable uh, crown. Paul says this in, in 2 Timothy 4. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. John Stott, a guy who really um, influenced me a lot, and especially with uh, preaching. And, and Stott was the pastor for 25 years of All Souls Church in London, right in the center of London, right across from the BBC. And um, the church was very uh, evangelistic church. It was a place where God's word was, was expounded uh, very clearly and, and, and Stott himself was just a, a very faithful uh, witness to Christ. And he died a few years ago, but three weeks before John Stott died, one of his friends, Christian writer Oz Guinness, uh, went to visit him. And Stott was bedridden by that point, but still able to converse. And so Oz said, we talked for an hour, and it was an unforgettable hour. We shared all kinds of, of memories with one another. And he said, before I left, I asked uh, Dr. Stott, How can I, what can I be praying for? How can I pray for you? And John Stott said to him, he said, pray that I will be faithful to Jesus until my last breath. That's what God is desiring from us. Just faithfulness. Faithfulness in this area. You know, the, the only, someone once said that the only failure in witnessing is a failure to witness. We're not responsible for results. We don't control results. We control whether or not we pray for people and share with people. God's looking for faithfulness in those two areas. Just pray for people. Pray specifically for people that need Christ by name, consistently, and then seek opportunities to share with them. I want you to take the cards that are at the end of the pews and pass them down. We have little business-sized cards that... I want each person here to take right now because when we think about praying for lost people, 
That's something that we can talk about very generically. And when we leave it at that level, we, we tend not to do it. But when we think about real people, when we think about real people in our lives, that puts a whole different dynamic on it, doesn't it? And so, in, in the cards that you're getting, there are, are three uh, blanks here that we can write down the names of people on. And, and, and think about this. I want you to think about the people God's put in your life that need the Lord. Now, we don't always know. We can't read hearts. Okay, but we're talking about people in our lives that, that are not actively involved in a Bible-believing church, okay? And so we don't know that they know Christ. And so those are the people that we want to be writing down. It could be somebody in your immediate family. It could be somebody in your extended family, relative. It could be people that you work with. It could be friends that you have that you're involved in just different activities with um, but kind of think through your life and we're going to take uh, we're going to just make this just a time of prayer this card is uh, is for you and the Lord and I want you to keep this with you throughout 2017 keep it guys in your wallet uh, ladies you can keep it in your purse I mean just keep it handy keep it where you can pull it out on a regular basis and, and pray for these people. Keep their names there as just a reminder to be praying for them. And what we're going to do throughout this year is, you know, every few weeks or so in service, we're going to pull out these cards and we're going to pray. We're going to pray over them. And so the three names that you're writing down, you're making a twofold commitment before the Lord. Okay, one is to pray for them faithfully by name, and the other is to seek opportunities to share the gospel with them in 2017. Let's pray together. So we just go into an attitude of prayer. You can continue, you can continue writing down your names as we do this. But Father, we want to lift up the names of the, these people to you. They're not names, they're people. They're people that, that you love, people that you've called us to love. And Father, we want to show our love for you and our love for them by faithfully praying for them by name. Lord, right now we lift them up to you. We pray for your sovereign work in their lives this year. We pray that you would be softening their hearts, that you would be doing a work in their lives to draw them to yourself and to open their hearts. And we pray that you would make us faithful as we interact with them this year to open our lips and share the good news of Jesus with them. Lord, may we not hoard the riches of the gospel that we've been given, but Lord, may we share lovingly with these people the good news of Jesus and invest in them and invite them, invite them to, uh, to come to a church like this where they can hear more. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our lives and the grace we have received. 
make us faithful to share that with other people. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with Jesus, we would love to talk with you more about that. Um, pray with you more before you leave here today. If you're here and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family um, and uh, just sort of making that publicly known, um, then as others stand and sing, we want to invite you to come. And Our altar is open to you here. We want to come and, and pray at the front. Let's stand together as we sing. hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.